I just learned the best spell of all. What's that? Sleep. Welcome back to My Alchemical Bromance. This is part two of our interview with Chuck Dunning, the author of Contemplative Masonry, Basic Applications of Mindfulness, Meditation, and Imagery for the Craft. In this part of the interview, Chuck interviews us. Chuck, do you have uh, any questions for us? I feel like this has been all about you, uh, which is cool (laughs) because you're our first guest and you're the author of a book and all this great stuff, but... Uh, you must have questions for us. Like, there are three of us. At least one of us. There must be a curiosity that you've got. Any any questions? Well, yeah, yeah. I want to know which of the three ruffian names each one of you uses. <laughs> oh, oh, that's easy. I'm uh, I'm Frank. <laughs> oh, oh, we're doing the old French rituals. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm Philip. <laughs> Francis. <laughs> Wait, we have two Franks. Francis. You're Frank. I'm Francis. Yeah, Francis Frank is Francis. <laughs> I'm used to traveling in groups of people with the same name as me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is true. There there must have been repeats. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the birthday problem is for, uh, for like, Hebrew names from back then. But if you pick 15 guys out of a, out of a big bunch of... Um, Hebrew builders, aren't any of them going to have the same name? Aren't you going to get the same name twice? I mean, look at the in the uh, uh, Iliad. You know, you had two Ajaxes, and there were only like ten main characters. Yeah. Well, I think at every Scottish Rite reunion in Guthrie, we have at least twelve mats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a yeah, fact. Uh, Chris is the. <laughs> There's, pretty only There's only one Joey. Here's a question for you. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we've been talking about all of this this process of self-discovery and everything. What's, you know, and I talked about this realization that love was a central theme in my life and kind of how that came about, although I could have gone into a lot more detail and I spared you from all that. Um, <laughs> we saw the pictures, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> You robbed us. You got that on the dark web, right? (laughs) Uh, um, So what I'd like to know from each of you is what is one kind of significant insight that you have had as a result of your own inner work that has had actually had a significant effect on, on how you exist on your being. Um, you know, because I think a lot of times what happens with us, those of us that are into this esoteric and spiritual and philosophical stuff, is that we get entertained by lots of ideas, right? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't. But but rarely do things make like a really significant difference in our lives. And to me, that's what I'm really most interested in. Hmm. Um, I like the the entertainment aspect of of philosophical and i mean because mm-hmm. i'm you know I, I i just enjoy those kinds of intellectual things and and artistic and romantic things but eventually to me it's got to make a difference so i'd like to hear from you what's one thing an insight that you've had that made a real difference for you well that's that's uh for me that's the biggest thing is that it has to make a difference in this life because 
if if you're just if you're locking yourself away, you know, there's going to be aspects of solid solitude for sure and introspection and all that. But if if it, if you can't use it to better your life, what's the point? Mm. It not just your life, but everybody around you. And I and I guess you know just the fact that you know having kids and all of that it, it, it changes things because you, you're not you're not quite so isolated there are other people around you that you have to consider and their development as well so just just the fact that this stuff is important and it's something that you can get really obsessed about quickly mm-hmm. and go down the rabbit hole for years which I think I'll you know I know I've done um but if it doesn't make your life better, then it doesn't fucking matter. Mm. You know? Um, so I get, I don't know where I'm going with that, but just, just the fact that if it doesn't make your life, it doesn't enrich your life and the lives of the people around you, then you should probably put it down and do something else. Okay. Let me ask you a follow-up question, Joey. Sure. What do you say to those people who I think we kind of, that that have this attitude that we kind of commonly associate with Gnosticism, uh, to some degree unfairly, that uh, actually existence in this physical world is really a nasty-ass prison, and what we really should be trying to do is escape from it and get free of it. And so the whole idea of trying to make your life better through spiritual practice is actually distracting you from what you should be doing. What do you say to that? Uh, I, I say, I say they're, they're probably gonna, me personally, my own belief is that they're going to waste their life mm-hmm. focusing on things that don't matter because mindfulness and the here and now appreciating everybody around you, all the situations, the good and the bad, that, that's life. Like we're, we, we're on this planet now and just feeling your heart pump and the breath in your lungs and seeing the trees and the flowers bud in the spring and, and the smiles on your family's face and all of that. That's what matters. Really. We, it's not a trap. It's not a prison. There are aspects of it that are disgusting and scary and just you know, evil, whatever that is. Um, the, the, the animal nature that, that, that exists in our, in our realm that is terrifying, but in the end, you just, you, you, you get what you focus on, hmm. I guess. Hmm. So don't focus on the, on the negative. Don't focus on the fact that this is an evil, terrible world because then you're going to draw that energy into your heart. It's going to ruin things for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just totally my opinion. <laughs> that's... And, and, I've had, and I've had three beers. <laughs> <laughs> the three beer report from Joey Harris. Can we, <laughs> that's the three beer report. Can we hear the, a new thing. the three coffee report now? <laughs> sure. Um, I think the thing that I've taken from uh, masonry and uh, practices I've gotten into is two big things. Um, the first of which is uh, 
constant regular reminder of my own mortality and a sense of urgency and um, achieving the things that I would like to achieve and and helping others. And this ties into the other thing, which I think is almost more important, is more important, is it pulled me out of the paradigms that I grew up in and put me in somewhat uncomfortable positions and exposed me to people I never would have been exposed to, which opened me up <laughs> considerably uh, and cranked my empathy level from 2 to 11. Uh, and I think that's that's probably been the biggest benefit of these practices, is, is increased empathy. Now it's my turn. I kind of feel, I kind of feel like I was a little long-winded on my answer now. No, it's okay. It's okay. You <laughs> you totally chucked out on that one. <laughs> well, well, there I go. Well, so we've created a new a new lingo here. Yeah. For, for your podcast. There I go. Our guest just I'm... went on a chuck. <laughs> I'm rambling again. <laughs> All right, Eric, your turn. All right. Well, I had. Uh, now your question was like what uh, changed us or what what sort of thing that we've come away with that sort of changed who we are kind of in the real world in the world like yeah okay I had an experience fairly early on in my um, uh, what I call my my magical practice where I realized that there was a choice that I could make that I could have made all along but I'd never known or realized that I could work on being a good person or work on, uh, I guess now I would call it uh, practicing virtue or, or, you know, pursuing virtue. Mm -hmm. This would have been after I became a Mason uh, and was probably related to the Masonic practices, but it was, it was interesting because at some point I was, it was almost like I woke up and was like, oh, I don't have to be bad. I mean, I don't think I was bad, but I was one way, and I decided to be another way. You were hanging out with the Cobalt Clan. That was way, yeah. way long ago. <laughs> we're going to have to edit that out because I don't want people showing up in here. <laughs> Sorry. For those of you that don't know, the Cobalt Clan was a secret CIA operation to... <laughs> to lay out the interwebs throughout the West Coast. This may or may not be existed. one of those blinds that Chuck was super excited about hearing in our in our Kabbalah <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, no, but I, I so I had that experience. It's sort of like, oh, I can choose to be good, or I can choose to pursue good, or I can choose to do things that make me think of myself as a good person. And it was a uh, it was a really strange sort of shift in the way my mind is working. I don't know how it was working before now uh it may have been very self-centered or very um sort of cut off from the concept of goodness perhaps uh you know being raised in uh outside of christianity and having almost universally negative experiences with christianity through my childhood and early adulthood uh it could be that that concept of like virtue and goodness and stuff was so heavily associated with that lifestyle to me that I was kind of like, Oh, that's gross. You know, that why, yeah. why does anybody do that? Or why did, you know, 
so so that was a really interesting shift and it led into this feeling in me that was very similar to joey's answer where i felt that esoteric practice or that spiritual practice should have a real world effect like it should you know it's not just the dwelling in the soul and you know your body is part of your soul the the world you interact with is part of your soul and so anything that you are doing to affect or influence your soul has to have a, an effect in the world so uh when i came across for instance the art of memory or the the magical side of the art of memory and i realized that it was a an esoteric practice that not only affected your soul but affected your ability to interact with the world that was super fascinating to me and then later on um even after that when uh i was introduced to musar or the the uh, jewish practice of uh virtue ethics you know the jewish ethics thing which is filled which is sort of a pre new thought um self-help system mm -hmm. uh again it was sort of like oh this is an esoteric practice like it's an inner spiritual practice that has a direct effect on how you act in the world and how you are in the world and who you are as a person um so i, I think that was one of the biggest shifts for me like when i first got into esoteric stuff i was so in my head i just wanted to you know have moments of enlightenment or you know things that i considered to be entirely spiritual and mental and not physical at all i think mm -hmm. that was uh, probably my biggest shift which might not is probably not done yet mm. yeah I, I think some of these things never stop really mm -hmm. you know but but you sharing kind of the 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 practices that facilitated that mm -hmm. that so that leads me to another question and that is in, in which you've kind of already answered and maybe you can come up with another one but I'd love to hear from Matt and Joey on this too and that is what is what's what's one practice that you have done that has really facilitated um, some kind of, of significant change oh, in your geez, life that's a tough one for me, it was uh, um, Zen Buddhist practice, just sitting and breathing. What was it about that, Joey, that that was so catalyzing for change? Because, because I, so I'd done, you know, a lot of the esoteric energy work, that done that for years, but there came a point in my life where you know, it was, it was so intense. There's so much going on and, and I really had, I had to focus things fell, fell apart. It, it was like one of those, you know, like Saturn return type things. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that kept me sane was sitting and letting my computer reboot, <laughs> you know, just there's, you're not focusing on all this other stuff. It's yes. just sitting, breathing, mm -hmm. and get up fresh and energized and go. Clear the cash. Clear the cash. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. it, it's super simple. <laughs> but that's that's also what was so powerful about the uh, the retreat that we did and uh, back in the day with the silent retreat, you know, oh, yeah, the Academy of Reflection. Uh -huh. Silent retreat sounds very simple. What was the silent retreat? 
you... Go ahead, Joey. <laughs> so as everybody goes it silent. Was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was it. Yeah, that was it. Okay, it was silent. Cool, cool, cool. Just for longer. So <laughs> the Academy of Reflection. That's wait. This was the first year that it happened, um, and it, it was basically just a, a silent meditative retreat at the Guthrie Scottish Rite Temple. And I believe there were five. Was it five of us that year? Yeah, five or that six, year. something like that. And you know, for those of you who've never seen the Guthrie Scottish Rite Temple, it's an amazing building and giant. So five of us in this beautiful building, um, being completely quiet. No communication whatsoever. No, you, you know, you put your cell phone away. It's a, a true silent retreat for three days at that time. Um, and there were some guided meditations that, that Chuck did where there was this, there was talking. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it was silent, which sounds pretty simple. Yeah. But it really, it, it really, uh, really reorganizes your mind and there were a couple of times there where I actually thought either I was crazy or I had died and I was haunting the temple. (laughs) Um, But I, I walked away from it. The second I walked into the, into reality or the real world after a three day retreat, um, I noticed all of these things that I did automatically Mm -hmm. without thinking about it. And it bothered me and that led to the discovery of some health problems that, that I got corrected and a divorce that I initiated. And like, <laughs> it Man. was so basically Chuck nuked your life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was already nuked by that point. I was just not taking action on moving on. I think yeah. weird. You know what? I got a, I got a divorce after meeting Chuck too. Oh my god! <laughs> it's all coming out. I mean, it was like five years after, but still. <laughs> oh, I hope Amy Anthony's not listening to this. Oh, oh god! <laughs> we'll totally edit that part out. <laughs> uh, do you want to answer next, Matt, or you want me to? No, I will, and it's basically really close to what Joey was saying. Um, very similar. It was. Uh, meditation practices, several meditation practices. Um, and actually I have Chuck to thank for my introduction to meditation. Um, started off with uh, guided meditations and then I got into mantra and silent sitting and uh, just basic mindfulness. And kind of echoing again what Joey said, being able to slip into that observer state for the first time and become conscious of the fact that I'm running on autopilot 90% of the time, completely unaware of what I'm doing and unaware how what I'm doing is affecting others. And to be able to finally step out of that and catch myself and really see myself in one of how my actions are affecting others, that ties back to what I was saying earlier about empathy that helped me become more empathetic. Nice. Yeah. Chuck, can you repeat the question? Sure. Um, Speaking of ADD. (laughs) Hey, I remembered all kinds of stuff this episode, but this one I'm kind of like... uh... Yeah, so actually, because it started with you, Eric, you talked about 
you know, Musar and some of the practices associated with virtue. Oh, yeah. So the question was, what are, what is at least one and maybe more than one spiritual discipline or esoteric practice that has seemed to make a real difference in your life? Well, I might go pretty far back for that. Uh, one okay. of the first practices that I learned I mean, I suppose that I, I, I was young. It would have been um, in the early 90s. Uh, I, I think I... Whoa. Everything okay out there? Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, so... Cascadia subduction quake, that's all. <laughs> so it'll be hitting us next <laughs> pretty soon. Yes. Um, so... Uh, I took a class in... Um, what is it that 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 neo shamanism stuff? You know, I the Michael Harner My, Michael Harner stuff. You know, the way of the shaman. Mm. I took a class from a woman whose name I can't remember uh, when I was still in high school, and it was it was a vision questy sort of thing. There were these uh, techniques for like descending into the underworld and ascending into an overworld. You would, you know, you learned like these shamanic healing techniques, and and they're all the the neo shamanists shamanistic stuff i is that barley the witch dog it is oh i think it's, it's very ironic that you're talking about descending into the underworld and then barley the witch dog, dog starts barking that's he, that's <laughs> yeah uh, he's our barley he, knows what's going on yeah he's our mascot uh, <laughs> so so that practice right there uh i had this like amazing experience where i realized that imagination wasn't limited that you could imagine stuff that you, and you could explore it right like you could dive into imagination it could be something yes. that now at the time it was very reactive like scrying type stuff where you'd just be like what am i going to imagine next what's around the next corner like what's going like there was nothing <laughs> controlled about it you know it was just and it and the whole method sort of relies on that just sort of this madness of yes. of of primal nature imagery and like weird you never know what the heck is going to come up um, and that right there, like the like realizing that imaginative power, uh, blew me away. Yeah. yeah. And I think that really drove me into into uh, esoteric and occult studies even harder than I already was. Like I, you know, I'd, be, I'd been doing it since I was a kid, so or doing huh. you know reading about stuff since I was really young. So it was, it just sort of showed me. It was probably the first time that I got a, a hint, a real hint at what it's really talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it, you know, yeah. So th I think that was it. Eric Arneson has been doing magic since he was a wee lad. Need I do a grasshopper? I mean, diaper mancy is some of the most powerful stuff, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Huggies are the best because the name itself sort of invokes sort of eros and love, you know? So Huggies is uh, if you're really going to go for it. Actually, Eric Arneson is one that came up with a disposable diaper. It came from his imagination because he, he realized that, you know, because you don't want to share a diaper. disposable washable. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> you don't want to share a diaper with Asmodeus. <laughs> I mean, those magical circles get everywhere. Little, oh. little known fact. Uh, Stewie from, from that, what's the cartoon show? 
Family Guy. Mm-hmm. Family Guy is based off Eric Arneson. Only oh. Eric Arneson had a wax mustache when, when he was Stewie. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Chuck uh, knew me okay. before I had a mustache. That's right. Yeah. Yes, he was a, a clean-shaven young lad. Well, I, I wasn't. Even I had know a what beard. To say to that. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't think that time ever existed. Oh. With, with a penchant for large hats. I did have large hats. <laughs> I was I was always under the assumption that Eric Arneson's Eric Arneson didn't grow his mustache. Eric Arneson's mustache grew him. Oh, yeah, but across yes. four dimensions, right? So it had to grow me into yeah. a place in the past before I had a mustache in order for the mustache to exist. Yeah, it's too much. Okay, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> four, I, I mean, four dimensional mustache theory. It's. <laughs> genuinely esoteric yeah it is (laughs) so um any more questions for us chuck were those good or i i i i've really enjoyed asking those questions and 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 hearing what you all had to say and yeah those were pretty fascinating uh, answers i feel like yeah yeah no kidding um and so yeah, so there is another one. I mean, we kind of focused on the past, right? Mm-hmm. So, where are you heading? What are you? What's on the horizon for you in terms of 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 practice of yeah of of, of how you're integrating um, these possibilities into Ooh, your that's, life? That's a good one. Our, our future plans, like the, the roadmap of our esoteric exploration. Yeah, yeah. So what's on, yeah, and, but, you know, obviously you can't look too far ahead. We all know, and one of the things we've been talking about here is how mm-hmm. unexpected things happen, right? Oh, yeah. And so, you, so, so trying to plan it all out is kind of ridiculous, but at least you can kind of maybe like see a few steps ahead of you on the path. What, what are you looking at? Ooh. For, for me, I would say consistent mindfulness practice. Um, ideally, I would like to, to do a mindful meditation every morning before I do anything else, coupled with visualization of exactly what I want to create for the day, the week, the year, you know. But that aside, just the mindfulness is so, so useful. It's it just kind of gives me energy, you know. Can I, can I offer you a suggestion on that? Sure. So one of the things that's been most helpful to me in my mindfulness practice is the suggestion that I got from a book by Thich Nhat Hanh. The Miracle Thich of Mindfulness. Hanh. Yeah. And so he talks about establishing mindfulness cues. Hmm. And one example that he uses is like anytime the phone rings, he takes that as a cue to be mindful, to bring himself back into the present moment. That, think, that idea is endorsed by Barley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, and so, and so, you know, he he uses that as a cue. And what? Yes, exactly, Barley. <laughs> I love it. And so, what that does is. For him, it prepared him to be fully present when he 
establish communication with the human being on the other end of that phone call. And, um, and so I've really incorporated that into my daily life. And I have like a set of mindfulness cues. Bird songs is a big one for me. When I hear uh-huh. birds singing, that reminds me to be present. When I hear footsteps, that reminds me to be present. And that's something, man, on a college campus, you oh, yeah, all the time. Um, and another one for me is like the whirring or the humming of some kind of electrical thing. It's funny that we've been having that <laughs> feedback <laughs> somehow through my uh, my system over here, but all of this, like, you know, when the refrigerator comes on, right. Down, well, all uh, those weird electrical things. You don't notice yeah, until you're like, just reminders to me to be present. And it's just a habit now. Hmm. And, uh, and so that's just something that I would offer to you as, as something that might help with that practice. Yeah. That's a great idea. I think that's a, that's a great useful idea. practice. Thank you, Chuck. That's sure. Matt, you're up. magical bag of tricks. (laughs) Every every time my email pings. (laughs) Uh Mindfulness in social media. Yeah. Just, well, mindfulness, corporate life, and the miracle of mindfulness. (laughs) Joey's book. There's got to be some profit in that somewhere. Oh, definitely. You can make a zillion bucks, dude. A zillion. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Matt go oh me yeah uh, i really don't know i mean i i have an inkling of where i'm headed but i don't know what it is mm-hmm. as far as like a name or a i don't know if there's a system for it uh since moving up here i'm spending a lot of time in the woods and in the mountains i feel drawn to some kind of I don't know what you'd call it. Some some practice that involves being in nature. And like, I'm not really uh, sure what. That sounds pagan. It may be. I, I, I don't. Have you? Our New England transcendentalist. Yeah. Have you tried um, like invoking something? Uh, or no. S- right now, it's just I I go out in the middle of the woods and meditate, and I talk to the trees and. I don't. I don't know where I'm going with that, or what if there's a system. That totally see switch out, or that sounds like a system. I mean, it sounds it like sounds... you. I already have one. Kind yeah. of druidical, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. We could call it Mediterranean. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. It, it's been interesting because I've, I've always been interested in the Golden Dawn style stuff, the big showy, mm-hmm. um, and I still am. But I find it interesting that over the last year, I'm getting more out of this this new whatever this is than I have anything else so far. Mm-hmm. But I don't even know what it is or where it's going. But that sounds great. Yeah. Uh, I guess I have kind of two answers. One thing which I know I'll probably be doing for a little while is I've been exploring uh, different Kabbalistic meditations because the Kabbalah Club thing I'm you know, either inventing them or adapting them from other works and presenting them to uh, these total Kabbalah uh, beginners, um, which is really fascinating because it means finding stuff that isn't going to take long. You know, because meditation is hard for somebody who's just starting out at, like, sometimes they can 
only do a couple minutes or maybe just like five minutes just to begin with. So you don't want the you don't want a Kabbalah meditation to be too difficult. So I've been doing a lot of these really short Kabbalah meditations. Mm -hmm. And those are hopefully going to become more complex as I go along. And then the other thing that I've really been doing, you know, I've been continuing work with the art of memory. Uh, lately, I've been trying to adapt um, Bruno's memory wheels into something for Freemasonry. And, that, mm. and that's hard because I'm not as smart as Bruno was. Uh, and then another thing that I've been really, and I, you know, I've been totally diving into, uh, grimoires lately. Uh, you know, Chuck, when you were in town last, I think I bought the, uh, sacred book of Honorius while you were there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I've been really diving into grimoires and there's something about, uh, Renaissance grimoires and medieval grimoires that I really like, uh, which is this sort of there's a lot of trance state sort of things you know the chanting of barbarous names and um uh the spontaneous prayer stuff from uh like the book of abramelin and all of these uh like surprisingly trance-like practices now the thing i don't like is all of the doodads you know there's sigils carved on things and daggers made out of this and that and like your wand has to be cut every year from a brand new tree. Like there's all these, you know, they, they have all these right. bizarre strictures and rules, which I am completely ready to just give up. Like, I, I don't care about that stuff. Like I don't want, I have a magic <laughs> wand. It's super cool. Uh, you guys can't see it, <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to. Cool. I don't want to see your magic wand again. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that initiation didn't work. <laughs> I remember St. Patty's Day, Eric. I don't need to have a replay of your shillelagh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I know the bad weather it brings down. Uh, so, so I've been I've been really good diving into that stuff, and I've been ex especially fascinated with um, sort of like Renaissance planetary magic, sort of Ficino style. Mm. Which I know that my that this is all super nerdy uh, magic talk. It's not um, maybe super accessible, but it's uh, it's really been been talking to me a lot lately. So that's kind of my next step. Okay. How about you, Chuck? Very. Yeah. What do you got coming up next? What's your next? Uh, well. What's cooking, good looking? <laughs> uh, well, actually, for me, it's kind of like it's a continuation of, of something that I've been working at for a while. And, and, and that's, um, there's kind of a twofold thing here. And one is that um, really trying to make every conscious moment mm -hmm. a spiritual moment to 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 be as fully present and aware at all levels of consciousness that i have access to in every moment and so it's kind of like mindfulness but that's like um, that's like advanced mindfulness it sounds like almost like um uh is there a word for that 
Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, so one of the things that I talk about in the book is I talk about mindfulness and then I also talk about prayerfulness. Right. So that, you know, so that there's this kind of like ongoing state of reverence, which is basically a kind of awareness that, that everything is sacred and everything is holy and everything is spiritual. And, um, um, uh, and for me, to a large extent, what that is, is also an ongoing conversation between my, you know, the part of, of my consciousness that, that forms associations and does analysis and deduction and all of those cognitive kind of functions that we associate with consciousness, typically. Um, and, and so all of that in conversation with uh, not only the information coming in through my sensory perceptions, but also my intuition. And I'm using intuition in a, in a kind of a more classic kind of sense, not a common sense now. Mm -hmm. Today, intuition is often just used in, as shorthand for a hunch, you know, or for a guess based on superficial observations. But the kind of intuition I'm talking about is um, input from levels of consciousness that are beyond our uh, direct control. And, uh, and direct awareness even. And so, and so that's, that's kind of the ongoing thing for me at this point in life. Uh, now what that has led me into is this new experience of being a published author and someone who is taking more of a leadership role in, in advocating for uh, this contemplative masonry stuff for, mm -hmm. for masons. And so that in itself has become a kind of spiritual practice for me. Um, that, that's kind of hard to describe. I have a question about that. Yeah. So in a lot of uh, Western spiritual practices and maybe Eastern also, I'm not as familiar with those. There's a, there's an emphasis on, I don't know, destroying or diminishing or controlling like the part of ourselves that we associate with like ego or, yeah. or, or something of that nature. You've been getting more attention, like a lot more attention. You know, you're just, this is like your fifth or sixth podcast. You, you came to Esoterica and spoke. I think you went to somewhere. You were speaking at a lodge in North Carolina too, weren't you? Like you've been a lodge in North Carolina. So people have been getting in touch with you and being like, "Hey, we like your ideas. Come and tell us more." That right. must be. It must inflate the ego a little bit. It must kind of pump you up a little bit and be like, "Hey, people are listening to me." Like, how is that interesting yeah. to deal with? How do you deal with that without being? How has that changed you? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think one of the ways that has changed me that I'm aware of is is um, I've become more conscious of a responsibility to advocate for the message mm -hmm. um, and, and advocate for the possibility of other Freemasons to experience the things that I'm talking about. Um, 
that this is not about me just having a good time and and having you know the the great feelings of 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 people complimenting me and patting me on the back and showing interest in me. Those are all fun things, you know, those are enjoyable things, but being mindful of those and understanding that that's not the driving motive mm-hmm. and keeping that in perspective and understanding that what I'm trying to do is, is, uh, is actually a form of service to to principles and and values that I consider to be bigger than myself I think is important the, of course the temptation there the danger there anytime somebody starts to think of themselves as the representative of a movement or a cause uh-huh. then the then the uh, the potential for beginning to think of yourself as the embodiment of that cause Ah. starts to arise. And that's a huge, huge mistake. Yeah. That is waiting. It it seemed to work out pretty well for Ron Hubbard. (laughs) (laughs) And how do you, how do you guard against that? Do you have uh, particular mindfulness practices or meditations that you uh, do to pay attention to that danger? Um, do you just no, use, I like, think I just voodoo? I think I just have this kind of continuing dialogue with myself. Ah. you know, um, one of the things that so, I, so th- yeah, this actually relates to to my question earlier about significant practices. One of the sign- most significant practices that I have developed in the last few years <laughs> is um, is is I'm getting really good at talking to myself. Um. So, <laughs> <laughs> don't mean don't mean you're crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're no, probably and, not crazy. <laughs> I, and I've been refining that for a long, long time, but I'm only now beginning to think I'm good at it. Does your other self have a different accent? Oh, believe me, there are parts of myself that have all kinds of weird accents. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> um. So, for example, one of the most significant is is um, inner child work, uh-huh. being in touch with the little boy in me, in myself, being in touch with that part of myself that still thinks and feels and wants to behave like a four-year-old boy, a three- or four-year-old boy, or five or six or something. Well, that's the integration you were talking about earlier between the wise yes. old man. Uh, not that you're that old, but... You're a little older than we are, uh, and yeah, I've got my, I've got more gray in my beard than you guys. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um. And uh, and the child archetypes. That so you're you're actually yeah. undergoing that right now. Like you feel like that's something. Yeah, you're doing. That, that's an important. Exactly, that's an important part of my current practice. Uh-huh. Is it is to listen to the little boy in me. To recognize that he's having a blast with a lot of this stuff. He's getting attention. You know, what little boy doesn't want attention, right? I mean, even introverted little boys like I actually was can only handle so much. But still, there's we all have a natural desire for that. We're social beings. Um, 
And so the little boy in me is eating it up. You know, this is fun. People are treating me nicely that barely know me, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a really seductive kind of thing because the little boy in me can just kind of gobble that up and want more, 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 more. Right. That's what little kids do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other parts of me, the kind of the rational, logical adult, and then the wise old man to the extent to which I can actually connect with him um, consciously and intentionally are both saying, okay, keep things in perspective, keep things balanced, try to find ways to integrate this. It's okay to enjoy those things. There's see, there's one of the things that gets, that can get problematic. I've experienced this. I know probably you have too. And that is when you start telling yourself that it's not okay to have a perfectly human experience of something like mm-hmm. enjoying people giving you positive attention you know if you start telling yourself that it's not okay to enjoy those things you start creating real trouble for yourself you start denying your own humanity hmm right yeah yeah so that's that's interesting that's yeah well it's almost like you you see people that self-sabotage a lot where they they don't feel like they're worthy to have nice things or to have you know Right, to have a great life, so they they self sabotage in order to make that a self fulfilling prophecy. Right, and, and you know, so a little bit an idea. But... Hmm. The Buddha, the Buddha talked about that moment when he's sitting under the Bodhi tree after all of these years of austerity, and in the distance he hears somebody tuning a lute, or whatever the appropriate name would be for Asia. Tuning, you know, and he talks about how, yeah, sitar maybe, (laughs) and he talks about how he could, he heard, you know, that the string could either be too tight or too loose, and that's when he realized I don't need to be doing these damn austerities anymore. I've got the string way too tight. It's too tight right now. (laughs) Kind of loosening up a little bit. So the moral, yeah, that's of, so true. the moral of this story is always stretch before you're doing your morning rituals. <laughs> that, that's it. There you go. But don't stretch too much. Yeah, you don't want your strings to be too loose. Right. <laughs> huh. Yeah, so it's 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 about it's about allowing all of the different parts of myself to be part of the conversation of myself. Mm-hmm. Um uh, to be to be present to each other, to be harmonious with each other, um, and to recognize their interconnectedness with these things that I'm involved with. That I, so in a kind of romantic kind of language that I think appeals to a lot of Freemasons, I I remind myself that a big part of what I'm doing is just being a tool. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes tools are useful. Uh, I honestly cannot tell if that was a good joke or not, but <laughs> it was fun to say. <laughs> yeah, but you know, we talk about that. We talk about being a tool in the hand of the great architect and stuff like that. And yeah. and uh, and so, in a sense, that's what's going on here: is that I'm allowing myself to be used as an instrument for a greater cause 
but in the process, the instrument's having a good time. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Right, just like a sitar. I mean, exactly. I, yeah, okay, I see. I think I see. Hmm. Well, then what's the problem in enjoying life? You know, all of everything it has to offer, just suck the juice out of it. Yeah, but, but don't just, we get but, a lot of messages that there's something wrong about that? Mm -hmm. oh, we do, and it's sad that that happens because you can enjoy it and not let it corrupt you. Right. You know, and I think that's probably why that we get those messages because we see the seduction of, of power and um, and, and how amazing we all are at succumbing to temptation. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I mean not me, but oh yeah, not you. Some people. Some not people. the hedonic king of Logan County. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like times... that much better than the dirt bag. <laughs> Joey, there are times I swear you're channeling Ernest Hemingway. <laughs> oh really? <laughs> uh, you I... know, keep that under control, though, Joey. That. <laughs> I'll try. I'll try. I don't know. Now that the, now the cat's out of the bag, yeah. I might have to go full Hemingway. Full, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Please don't do that. <laughs> he was kind of a. Don't ever go full Hemingway. <laughs> He's kind of a crazy cat lady, though, so you could always go halfway Hemingway. Get get like a few cats. I have a small dog that's it's kind of like a it's a monkey cat dog, so close <laughs> enough. So, so would. Would that be hemming halfway? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nice. maybe uh, maybe we've reached the end of this episode of the podcast. We, we've been talking to each other for almost two hours. Uh, yeah, I'm wondering what all you're going to edit out of this. That's none. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely nothing. Just uh, just the part that Matt Anthony wants me to. No, you don't have to edit. <laughs> um. Yeah, you know, the commercial break. That's that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so it was super awesome having you on our podcast, Chuck. Uh, it's it's been fun. It's been it it would have been great to do this in person. Yeah. I'm sorry I slept till noon that Saturday. We're oh. we are just it's it's hard to schedule anything on over such a short visit when um when you're trying to you know, when you're a, Yeah. Yeah, you know how it goes, but uh, yeah, it was I'm, great having you in Portland, though. It was fun. we had so much so much fun that Friday oh, night. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it was a great time there, and and uh, you know, I I kind of think things maybe worked out the way they were supposed to here. I mean, this has been we've had a blast doing this. We mean, and there's been this has not only been fun, but there's been depth to it, and sure, you know, and and so yeah, this has been good. And I'm not sure we could have had this kind of conversation if we had tried to do it in Portland. Yeah, that, probably that's, probably not. That's a good point. I think we had a super deep, long conversation about all kinds of stuff uh, tonight. That yeah, it, it wouldn't have been as uh, it wouldn't have been as deep for sure. I definitely wouldn't have written down questions ahead of time. <laughs> let, me, let me make sure I got them all. Uh... Ooh, I have one more. I'll, okay, I'll try to keep my answer short. Hold on. Okay, we could even all answer this. Um, uh, for non-Masons, what kind of contemplative practice would you recommend? Yeah. Become a Mason. <laughs> <laughs> Become a Mason. That's it. 
<laughs> Thanks for listening to the Lotto Pursuit. Oh, you know, we know. What podcast is this? I forgot. Oh, yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 yeah, yeah. Let me amend that. Drink beer. Um... Drink beer and hang out with Masons. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's... <laughs> That's a really tough question, Eric, because there's so many different practices and each individual has so many different needs. I, I think if I were going to recommend one thing that is valuable to just about anybody, it's silent sitting. Oh, yeah. That, that sounds good to me. Reboot the computer. Yeah. Clear the cache. Yep. Uh, what about you guys, Matt, Joey? Would you recommend? I'd, I'd have to echo the same for the same reasons. Yeah, especially as as hectic as things are today with everybody, just clear the cash. Well, I was going to... Silent sitting. I was actually going to recommend um, heavy drug use. I thought that would be... That's something that almost anybody can get into. It doesn't require a whole lot of effort and just a little bit of, uh, you know... Yeah, silent sitting and five grams of salicylic. <laughs> with a dash of dmt <laughs> and two fistfuls of marijuana edibles like as much as you can hold in your hands that's oh my god <laughs> <laughs> you'll get you'll get somewhere next thing you know you're living living in the pacific northwest <laughs> <laughs> listening to electronic homes coming from something yeah <laughs> I suppose like we should probably right. include a disclaimer that uh, that none of us actually uh, condone or encourage the consumption of controlled substances. I I I mean I, I yeah. Except I think it is important to obey the law in these respects. Yes. You should go to a country or a state where it is legal to do so. But always remember that Big Brother is watching you. Always. <laughs> Uh, all right, now, all right. That's good. Matt, you want to sign us off? Yeah. Thanks again, Chuck, for joining us. It was really great. My um, pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode. Catch us next time. Oh wait. Also, buy Chuck's oh. book. Yes. Buy, buy yeah, Chuck's how, book. How, how can uh, how can people find your book and find uh, find out more about you? Um, there's this thing called Amazon.com. Um, if you go there and type in either my name, Chuck Dunning, or type in Contemplative Masonry, um, it'll be the first book that pops up. And um, you can get it there. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it in, in um, hard copy as well as softback, as well as Kindle. The Kindle version is four ninety five. The The uh, soft cover is twelve ninety five. I think. And... Um, yeah, but the, but the lessons are priceless. Now and uh, and and every all my royalties from every purchase go to the uh, restoration and maintenance fund for the Scottish Rite Temple in Guthrie, Oklahoma. That is wonderful. Awesome. Thank you for doing that. Is it available at Powell's yet? Um, you know, when I was there with you, uh, we we looked in the Masonic section, didn't see it there, but it is online. Ah, Powell's. We got to get some yeah, people to get you, it into the actual Powell's bookstore. That would be very exciting. <laughs> yeah, that that way they can fly you out and do an author's thing because yeah. they have authors all the time. And you 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 well, should see Portland, and, and then we can pretty, hang out again. Yeah, yeah, let's make that happen. <laughs> all right, that could be fun. Yeah, the little boy in me is thrilled about that idea. But not the wise old man. We'll get to work on that. <laughs> the wise old man's going to chill about it. Yeah, that's all. That'd be cool. 
The wise old man knows better. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you want to sign us off again, or should we just edit in the previous one onto the end of this? Uh, yeah, we'll do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, thanks for listening. All you need is love. I'm not